Today's episode is brought to you by Kindred.com. Kindred partners with local churches everywhere to make smart giving a possibility with a simple tap, click, or text. It is a beautifully simple concept. I love the ability to give with my phone because it allows me to be generous even when I don't have cash on me. Uh, because let's be honest, I never have cash on me. With Kindred.com, it takes that element completely out of the equation and it unleashes generosity in your people by making it as convenient as possible to give. Here's how it works. If you want to give by text, you simply send a text to your church's giving number. And the first time, they'll reply with a secure link to register. After that first time, all you have to do is text the amount you want to give and you'll receive a confirmation. Kindred also allows you to embed a smart giving button on any page of your website, and you can set up scheduled gifts to occur on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis. So it really is user-friendly for the people in your church, and it also works on the back end as well. With their powerful tracking system and fast end-of-day transfers, Kindred works hard to make it just as easy on churches as it is for their givers. To find out more about how Kindred can help you and your church, visit kindred.com and unleash generosity in your church. For our listeners only, enter code SHEEP during sign up for your first month free. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and joining me, through the wonders of technology, is Roman the Rhinoceros Johnson. What? What? And what is that about? I am, cl- I'm like the opposite of rhin- a rhinoceros. I don't no, have, a- I don't have gray leathery skin. <laughs> I'm rather slender. It's I, true. My, it's my true. nose is a normal size. It's very true. Um, no, if it was, I think if if we were talking about your appearance only, we'd we'd probably call you like what you've been called like a bush baby or something before, right? I have, my, yes, yeah. affectionately by my wife. It's I have, yeah. I have uh, larger than average eyes, so I don't know if yeah, you, no. I don't know if our listeners are are uh, you know astute on the uh, on zoology and know what a bush baby is. But just Google it and yeah. picture if you and find a picture of me and put them side by side, and it's pretty much it's hard to tell a difference between the two. And, and I would challenge those of you out there listening: feel free to do a face swap uh, with Roman and a Bush baby, and send us that picture. You can hit us on social media at creative underscore sheep. Uh, it's never been done. Do a face swap. It's never That's been true. Done. It's never been done. Uh, no, I called you a rhinoceros because of a book I'm reading called Rhinoceros Success by, I believe it's Scott Alexander, um, who I think is going to come on the show, which we're Ooh. really, really excited about. But no, I was very calling excited. you a rhinoceros because of that. Um, you're a very tenacious individual. Once you set your mind to something, you go do it. Um, and I have a lot of respect for you because of that. You are a how many degree black belt, Roman? I'm a second degree black belt, Jared. Second degree black belt. In, in, uh, in, uh, in an art, a martial art based in Taekwondo. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, uh, I, I've heard you described as, a, as having the iron will of a samurai. Now, granted, that was self-proclaimed, <laughs> but I have heard you, you described as having that. That is not, there's no longer self-proclaimed. You just proclaimed it over me. That is, so. that's true. That's true. So that is why I called you a rhinoceros, not because uh, you look like one. Well, thanks, Jared. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let's let enough of this tomfoolery that's happening right now. Uh, Roman, we've got a phenomenal interview today. I know I say that every single week. You do. I say it every week, but mm-hmm. it's because I love these interviews so much. Uh, this is episode 52, I believe, episode 52 of the show. Uh, last week's conversation with Sam Woods was phenomenal. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, go do so. So good. So it was good. really, really good. The week before that, uh, it was the guy on the other side of the computer screen from me, Roman Johnson, Hey-o. talking about cultivating creativity. Another great conversation. Uh, 2017 has just been off to a great start. Here we are, episode 52. Uh, we've got a couple more friends on the show today, Roman. Uh, they are. Randy and Dan DeBell. No, Randy no. and Dan DeBell. I love these people. I love them. They are uh, they're incredible people. I actually, growing up in, in high school, I spent a lot of uh, a lot of Saturday nights at their house. Dan was my best friend in high school, and we 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 drank a lot of sweet tea, 
Uh, we ate a lot of cinnamon rolls. His, mo his mom makes the best cinnamon rolls. And uh, a lot of respect for this family. And I'm very excited for this interview. Yeah, and I I got to start knowing this family. Uh, it was probably in about 2001, 2002. Uh, I started working with Randy and at, at 180, the Youth Ministry of Church on the Move, and just love him. He is just an amazing man and uh, has raised successfully raised three boys, three boys who all love Jesus with all of their hearts. Um, and They're men they now, are, Jared. They are men now and are raising families of their own. Uh, it's just been so cool. Him and Miss Helen, we need to have her on the show at some point for putting up with him. Uh, oh, yeah. he, he is totally full of it, but just is an, a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. I, I can't say enough good about this family. And then having worked with Dan over the past several years, uh, Randy was, at the time we recorded the interview, he was the operations manager at Church on the Move in Tulsa, has since transitioned out of that and become taken on more of a pastoral role and is the next steps pastor at our or at the south campus of Church on the Move and uh, Dan is the uh, central campus family ministries director a next gen director of Church on the Move overseeing babies through 5th grade and today what we're talking about is raising godly kids uh, Randy and Helen DeBell raised three boys Ben uh, Brad and Dan and Dan is the youngest, and he's now 26, 27 years old, something like that at the time of this recording. And we just had a conversation with him. What, what, uh, what, what are some of the mistakes that were made, some of the successes that were had, uh, what Dan saw as a kid growing up, what these experiences meant to him then and now that he has a son of his own? And it's just a phenomenal conversation, Roman. Yeah, and this I can remember even, even just going over to Dan's house uh, in, in high school, it was, it was one of the most peaceful homes, uh, that, that I ever went to. There was, there was never any sort of fighting or even disagreements in front of, you know, the kids. Uh, I, I really, really loved going to Claremore, Oklahoma to, uh, spend time with the DeBells. Uh, and yes, I say, I say we, we should get to this conversation because I can't wait any longer. Here it is. My conversation with Dan and Randy DeBell. Folks, we got something real special for you today. I'm real excited about this. We are joined with not just one person, but two, uh, a father-son combo here that I've had the pleasure of knowing for quite some time. Um, and we've got Randy and Dan DeBell in the house right now. That's where the applause track would go, uh, but we don't really have one of those. So uh, anyways, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Were you about to clap? I was right? going to, well, I was going to give ourselves a, a hand clap. <laughs> you know. Maybe we should anyway. Maybe we just should. Thank you. I'm I'm kind of embarrassed. You really did put that cough drop on the table. Yes, sir, I did. I, I thought you were kidding. I don't kid around. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Uh, well, hey, let's let's jump in here before we start talking about our our main topic for the day. Uh, let let's talk let's talk uh, your story. How you got where you are, Randy? Let's start with you. Alrighty. Well, in 1995, I was 35 years old, married. See the math on that real quick. Think about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> had three little boys. They were five, seven, and nine, and a little fuzzy dog. And we moved down here to go to Church on the Move, to get involved, to be a part. Moved down from North Iowa. And uh, back then, the church had a school ministry and uh, went through that. I did. And, and after that, got hired on as one of the children's pastors for five years. And then after that, went out for about five or six years, did a few things on my own, and, and knew I needed to be back here. This is where God had called me. And now I work back here at the church as the operations director. So with that, why don't, just, just uh, this is not our, our conversation for today, but w what does the operations director oversee here at Church on the Move? We oversee all of your uh, housekeeping, maintenance, landscaping, and transportation. Which, if you've ever seen the campus here, that's a lot. There's yes, a lot that is. goes into it. Not to mention, do you have a hand in what goes on out at Dry Gulch as well? Yes, sir. Okay, yep. so you've got which at Dry Gulch is the summer camp of Church on the Move, which is about an hour hour away. Mm -hmm. I should know that about an hour away from the church. Uh, plus, you've got Lincoln Christian School in there, a couple other campuses now. Um, so your hands are you, you're a little busy. Your hands are a little yes, full. Sir. Plates yep. a little full. Um, and uh, Dan, yes, why don't you? <laughs> Just answer like a normal person. I That's am. a haul. I, 
I, I have had the pl- pleasure of getting to know Dan over the past couple of years. We worked very closely together. Um, and uh, I just got to say, I'm so impressed with this young man um, and the things that he does. And, and I actually, I got to work with you, Randy, for... Mm-hmm. Was it about a year? I think we worked together yeah. in the youth ministry here at the church. You were an intern. I in, was an in intern. 180, yeah. And you came on and took over the bus ministry and missions, I uh-huh. think. And we went on a missions trip together. Um, and uh, that's where my respect for you just went stumbling through the floor. It was not. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have the utmost respect for Randy DeBell. He is a great man, a great leader, um, which is why he's on the show today to talk about uh, raising his children. So I'm sorry, Dan, back to you. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about your story. How'd you get where you are and doing what you're doing today? Well, in uh, 1995, whenever I, <laughs> I was the five-year-old, uh, we moved down here and... Um, I, this this place was nothing like I'd ever seen. Being five years old, uh, our church in Iowa was was small church, uh, not very many people going there. And so coming down here to a much larger church, uh, it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. Probably one, to me, it was the biggest building I've ever been in, uh, which is, you know, as a five-year-old, it doesn't have to be that big. But um, It was like a castle. Yes, it was, it was massive. So coming down here, I, I grew up at, at Church on the Move. I went to Lincoln Christian School, which is the private school here at, at Church on the Move. Uh, I graduated in 2008. Uh, along that way, being involved in the church that much, I realized pretty quickly that I was, I just wanted to be a part of this place. Uh, I didn't know in what aspect, and so I hopped at any 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 uh, opportunity I had. I jumped right in. So when I was in high school, I worked in landscaping for about five summers, five long summers, <laughs> uh, and then I did maintenance for a little bit, and then eventually. I continued after I graduated high school. Um, I went to to college, but I realized really quickly that I was called uh, I was called to ministry, and so um, I just got as involved as I could here at the church. And man, some doors opened for me to get involved in uh, kids ministry here, and I've been doing that for five years now. Wow! So with that, uh, Randy, like you said, you were a children's pastor here at the church for some time. Uh, did, did you ever encourage Dan or push him to kind of follow in the family business of ministry? Never really pushed him or encouraged it at all. But as a, a young child in my class, he was always a prop. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, used him good. in every story. Uh, you know, the prodigal son, I could run up to him and kiss him and the kids would go berserk. <laughs> oh, ick, yuck. And, but he was a prop constantly. He was on stage with me almost every time I talked. And wow. when I taught uh, in Lincoln or, or wherever, uh, you know, the chapels, or it didn't matter. He was one of my props that I would use almost every time. So he was used to being on stage. He was used to being part of the illustrated sermon. Yeah. So did you ever feel pressure or did you, did you know back then when you were that prop that like ministry was in your future or did it take a while to get there? It, it took me a while to get there. Honestly, I, I just enjoyed uh, being a part of the process. I enjoyed kind of knowing behind the scenes <laughs> what was going to happen in yeah. service. Uh, as a kid, I loved I loved that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, it, I, it didn't really hit me full on until after I, I was graduated high school and in college when I really felt like I was called to ministry. So it took some time. And you weren't, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were, you were going to school for criminal justice, right? That's correct, yeah. So I got an associate's in criminal justice, was pursuing a bachelor's, um, and that's when some doors opened up here at the church to, to come on staff in ministry. So Gotcha. And before that, you were a high-level volunteer prior to that. I mean, you were a great small group leader for the junior high ministry here, and I, I think you even did some other things yeah. in, in a volunteer capacity. Uh, so real quick, Dan, take us on the journey. You, you, you kind of grazed over the fact that you're in the children's ministry right now. I think you hold a little bit bigger of a role than just in the children's ministry here. So like real quick, just from, from when you stepped into to working in children's ministry to where you are now, what does that look like? So I, when I first started, I was hired to be the fifth and sixth grade uh, pastor. So if it was one, at that time we had one campus, it was one room that I was in charge of. Um, I was in charge of the volunteers, obviously, um, the teaching and the, uh, the volunteer teams of that room. Uh, as we started growing, uh, I, I was still one of the kids in the move, was which, which is what we call our kids ministry here, kids in the move. I was one of the kids in the move pastors uh, involved in elementary age uh, always until about this past year is when things started to, to shift. And um, 
right now I am the Kids in the Move director for our central campus, uh, which is kind of our main campus. It's our broadcast campus. And uh, I also play a part in the curriculum side of things. I help uh, just kind of as a, a brain trust for the curriculum, helping throw my two cents in there since I've done it for a little bit. Uh, but basically, I oversee everything babies through fifth grade at our central campus. Uh, I have staff that works for me, and I'm over the volunteers and everything that happens on the weekend. So with that, I, roughly at the central campus, how many kids are you guys seeing on a given weekend? Uh Roughly between between babies in fifth grade, about 1,500 uh, a good weekend, maybe 2,000 at the central campus. Yeah, yeah. And so you're overseeing something like five, 600 volunteers um, yes. with that. So again, you acted like, oh, I'm a part of the children's <laughs> ministry. I think you hold a little bit bigger of a role than that. I'm not, I'm not just trying to toot your horn, or maybe you didn't want to, so I'll do it for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and, and I point that out just to show, like, dad in children's ministry and now son in children's ministry. And Randy, you and Helen, Miss Helen, raised three boys. You've got Ben, who is now, I don't know how old Ben is. How old is Ben? He's 30. Ben is 30. you got Brad, who is? 28. 28. And then little Danny boy right here <laughs> is 26? 26. 26. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done something right. You and Miss Helen have done something right. And that's, that's the main topic I want to tackle today. So let's start off with a real, just a softball, a lob question here. How? <laughs> <don't know>. Golly, <laughs> that was like a hardball. I don't know. <laughs> I'm wow. kidding. I'm kidding. But no, seriously, I mean, you guys raised three boys. And I, from, from the outside, my sister has three boys. And boys are crazy. I have one right now, and he's only eight months old. So, like, I haven't reached the full crazy yet. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But uh, three boys, and I've even heard Dan tell stories that like Thanksgiving's right around the corner as we're recording this. And that like when you guys walk through the door, there's just going to be a wrestling match. Even at 30, 28 and 26, yes. there will yes. be a wrestling match. Oh, yeah. And which I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Randy, you still hop in these from time to time. Very carefully and gingerly, <laughs> I hop into these, yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, I mean, like, I, I, I see what goes on in my sister's house and how crazy it can be. And don't get me, I mean, she's got amazing kids. But especially raising boys, you tell people you've got three boys, and, I mean, they, they breathe a sigh of, of relief for you, thankful that they don't have three boys. Um, and in all seriousness, I mean, how what, what are some steps that you guys took early on in, in raising boys to, to keep them on the straight and narrow? I think for us, it was communication. Uh, even as little boys, you had to take the time to sit, to talk, to laugh, to play. The second I got home at night, it was once again on the floor. We wrestled. If we weren't outside, if the weather was bad, <laughs> we were inside playing football on our, on our knees uh, in the living room. But to, beyond that, it was communication, really talking with each other, knowing what went on their day at school, whatever. Mm. And even as teenagers and and young men in college, you knew you could read them that something was going on, something wasn't right. And many times after a date or whatever, they'd come home and and we'd hear a knock on our door. They'd come sit on the edge of our bed and tell us what was going on. You know, I didn't have to pry, I didn't have to ask, I didn't have to corner them, but they knew they had an open door and they knew they could talk with me or mom separately or together. But that started when they were just little, little boys. And so it was a matter of investing in them early on. Uh, what, what did some of the conversations look like when they were little boys? Because I, I can only imagine they're not, I mean, you're talking when they're teenagers, talking about girls or things that seem tough in life. But just when they were little boys, what, what did those conversations look like? I think mostly it was this letting them know they were one of the most important things in my life. Mm. First it was God, and then it was their mom. And they knew right off the bat they didn't trash mom, they didn't talk back to mom, that she was very precious to me right under the Lord, and then it was them. Mm. And then it was my job. But to me, I think it was really shown and portrayed in our play. It was, you know, we loved to play, we loved to hang out together, tease each other, and just sometimes even torment each other. Uh, But it was just, it was really acted out in play that Mm. I made the time to play with them. And our yard became the yard that all the neighborhood kids came to. Mm -hmm. They'd knock on the door and say, hey, can Randy come out and play? Which which is me, the dad. You know, I was like all-time quarterback or something like that for both teams. Yeah. But it was, it started in play. Mm. Wow. 
such a simple thing, but also very easy to overlook. Dan, as a do you do you remember a lot of this from yeah. when you were growing up? Oh yeah, definitely. I as looking back now, it, it's it's crazy to me looking back, and I have a two year old boy, and um, looking back and seeing that the sacrifice that my dad would do when he would come home, it didn't matter how tired he was. And I knew sometimes he was tired. Um, but it was always just like he said, it was always, we were playing from the get go. And sometimes it was literally just, just my dad laying on his back in the living room, throwing a football up in the air. And we were just, you know, dogpiling him and trying to catch it, (laughs) but it didn't take a lot of his energy, but it was just, it was quality time is what it was. And man, I, I remember so many nights, uh, and days that were just like that. Wow, that's incredible. And then so as as things progress, because that's that's the story from when they were little boys. But as the story goes, and if you read anything of Reggie Joyner's, he talks about that when uh, they hit junior high, this is when peer influence is at a, it becomes at its height, and uh, the parent parental influence actually starts to de- decrease dramatically at this point. Um, what did you and Miss Helen do around the middle school, early high school years? to to keep that relationship and I know we're talking about boys here because with girls in particular that's typically the age that dads pull away because girls go through all these changes and boys do too so what did you and Miss Helen do with your boys around that time frame uh, to to stay engaged and to stay uh, connected with your boys we watched them very closely and carefully changes in behavior, friends they hung out with. At least they, they make fun of me now for our monthly meetings. But I'd say, hey, fellas, when we get done eating, we're going to have a little talk tonight. Mm. And so we talk about everything from girls to language to purity, uh, friends. There, was some, there actually became some friends that weren't welcome in our home anymore. Mm. And, you know, some people gasp at that. Well, what are you thinking? And, well, that friend was a wolf. Might have been a 13-year-old wolf, but he was a wolf. And it just, but we watched their interactions with friends, with teachers, everything, with us. Yeah. And when we saw maybe they got cold or discouraged or started to pull away, that's when we stepped towards them mm. and said, oh, well, I just need to back off and, and let them alone, and they'll snap out of it. No, that is when we stepped towards them. How are you doing? What's going on? I even pulled Dan out of school one time for a couple of weeks, and I was working a, a job where we remodeled churches and children's churches. Mm. And he went on that trip, and we drove a truck and a trailer down to Tampa, Florida, and we worked there and did this road trip for a couple of weeks. Wow. But I knew at that time in his life as, a, I think, a freshman or a sophomore, he was struggling. Mm. Uh, he was little brother. It was all Brad DeBell, the ball carrier, the football star. Yeah. Danny's playing football. And it was just, and I saw him walking around hanging his head. Mm. And his joy was gone. And Danny always had joy. He always had the smile. When I was grumpy and feeling ornery and wanted to rant, he could immediately take that away by just goofing off with me yeah. or smiling or laughing. But I just, we learned that when they did pull away, when they did hurt or you saw changes, we ran to them instead of backing off from them. Dan, how much did that, that road trip he's talking about, how much did that mean to you? How, how big of a difference did that make in your life with whatever you were going through at the time? It was, man, it was big for me. Um, he's absolutely right. And it's, it's funny because as a kid, especially as a teenager, you think you can hide a lot of that stuff. Um, but when you have parents that are that engaged and they know you that well, um, they can spot it from a mile away. And I remember on that trip, it seemed like it took me, it took me a little bit, but what was awesome, even though we were doing work, we, we I mean, we did work. Uh, I, and back then in that trip, we didn't have a GPS, so I was the map guy. And so it was on <laughs> me to get us there. And, um, but I had responsibility in it. And that the biggest thing for me is it felt like my dad needs me. Wow. And that meant a lot to me. Um, it just showed, it, it confirmed once again, Hey, I, I see you and you're important to me. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to take, I mean, that's a big, big piece of time. And yeah, I had homework I had to make up, but it was worth it. Wow. It was worth it for sure. If you don't mind, like what were you going through at that time? I mean, was it just, cause your brother was an all-star athlete at, at the school that you both attended, um, an incredible football player. 
Was it just that or were there other things? You don't have to go into all the details, but was there, were there some other things going on as well? I'd say uh, the biggest, looking back, and I couldn't have put this into words then, uh, it was more of an, it was, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of, I felt like I was kind of in the shadow. Most of it was an identity crisis. I didn't really know, am I, I'm, I'm decent at football, but I don't know if I'm as good as Brad. And so am I, who am I supposed to be? I have two yeah. older brothers and they're, they're both very different. One's very artistic, one's, you know, super athletic. Who am I supposed to be? Trying to find out. And in, in that crucial moment of high school, who, who am I? Yeah. Um, and, and over and over, it felt like I'm just getting overlooked. Uh, mm. And so it felt like, well, I'm nobody. I'm just the third and forgotten. But once again, that a trip like that and some some of the talks we had on that trip um, were exactly what I needed to confirm. I'm I'm just need to do what I'm doing and not worry about what Brad's doing, what Ben's doing. But I'm good right yeah. where I'm at. I'm good. Yeah. So can you? I, I'm sure there was still some fight after that trip. I'm sure like not everything was just <clears throat> cleaned up and the happily ever after right after that trip. But at the same time, are you able to look back now and say, you know what? that actually was a pretty catalytic moment for me um, in terms of pushing me forward, propelling me forward in becoming who I am. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, like I said, I I couldn't have put this into words back then, but it's what even put the phrase uh, living in my brother's shadow in my brain. Mm. I couldn't have put that into words, but um, my dad called that out in me. Hey, it seems like you're feeling like this. And so just him being being able to identify this is this is what you're feeling and this is how you can how you can work through that um, that was a that was a big deal for me because up until that point I didn't know what it was that was making me feel that way yeah but that's exactly what it was it was I'm feeling like I'm just in the shadow over here of my older brother who's who's a great athlete um, I couldn't have put it into words he did it for me so then I could identify what is the problem so that I could fix it. And I would say this, that's something that I still face even today. Hmm. There's times people, even today, eight years after I've graduated high school, they'll confuse me for Brad and say, man, when you used to, you hold, you used to hold all those records at, you know, at Lincoln Christian and all this stuff. And it's easy for those thoughts to come flooding back into my brain wow. of, oh, you're just the, you're the brother to that guy. Um, but again, it took somebody identifying that problem, which was my dad, um, to help me get past it. Wow. That's incredible. Randy, I think it's amazing that, um, you guys made it a point that when you, you notice struggles to lean in. And I think this is something that as a parent, and I haven't experienced this yet, my oldest is only three. And so right now, everything I'm able to lean into, and it's very easy. I say that relatively right now, but in this, I think a lot of parents, especially when they start to reach this age, start to pull back and, and pull yeah. away, as we just talked about a moment ago. For you and Miss Helen, was there ever a time where it was uncomfortable or intimidating to lean in and where you didn't want to, but you, you had to kind of force yourself and say, you know what, we're, we're not going to lose our kids? Definitely. It's because at times you feel embarrassed. You feel like you're not qualified. Wow. You feel like you're not good enough to speak into your own kid's life. I, I have those feelings yet today. There's, there's times when I know one of my sons is discouraged or going through something, and that thought will come, who do you think you are? When I want to take them out for lunch or send them a text or just, I love you, that thought will come, who do you think you are? You have nothing to put into them or to say to them. Wow. And I, I battle that. Well, I'll just shut up then. But yet I know shutting up is not right. I know at that moment, at that time, my son, my family needs that good word. They need to know how important they are to me. And it's it's still having that boldness. You know, the DeBells can come across very abrasive and brave and bold and here we've walked into the room, but yet I know for a lot of us, the DeBells, we, we have self-doubts. We have do wonder at times, man, am I in the right spot at the right time? And what really do I have to give? Mm. And once again, that comes back to where we are with Christ and the time we've spent with him. And he reaffirms that, that speak up, say something, mm. hug their neck, sit down next to them, take them to lunch. But but get into their life. And 
And it is. It, it can be embarrassing. It can be intimidating when you've got sons that are bigger and stronger. And, and I look at them, they're more successful than I am. They're better than me. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm. I want my sons better than me yeah. by a long shot. And yet I sometimes I think, man, do I step into their world? And the Holy Spirit will just give you a little nudge. Yes, they need what you have to say. Mom or dad, it doesn't matter. Wow. That's incredible. One other thing I want to jump on real quick before we move on is you, you mentioned in your monthly meetings that you would tackle the purity subject. And this, I, this is conversations that my, my wife Ashley and I have had even before we had kids. I remember when we, when we got pregnant with Pepper, my, my daughter, the, the questions already started of who's going to talk to her? And because, it, I mean, that, that hits you yeah. as a parent of we have to have this conversation. Or as a lot of parents do, they don't have the conversation. But you made it a point that we're going to lean in to this uncomfortable topic, at least uncomfortable for me. I don't know if it's yeah. as uncomfortable for you. But uh, maybe talk about that a little bit. Did, like, did you and Miss Helen decide and determine we are going to broach this subject so that they're not hearing it from their friends at school? Definitely. It's just, it was something, you know, that they needed to hear from a parent. Like you say, not somebody at school, not some film and sex education or anything <laughs> like that. But I'll remember, I'll never forget it. One Sunday night, we're watching this stupid educational nature show. And the monkeys are, you might want to say, going to town, you know. <laughs> and they both have smiles on their faces. Uh -huh. and, and it's like... And so the two older boys, Ben and Brad, kind of knew what was going on, and they looked at me, and I looked at them, and Helen looked at me, and I knew it was time to go a little deeper with them. So we went to the back bedroom and, and had this, this talk, and I said, now listen, you don't need to share any of this with little brother. Danny's not ready for it yet. He thought the monkeys were playing. <laughs> and so it just was... Just wrestling. Yeah, just oh don't, don't give him details just yet, but... But it was, yeah, like I said, it can be embarrassing. But in, and as they were dating and everything, it was sometimes you just have to be brave, blunt, and bold. And just tell them, okay, you said you love this little girl, right? Yes, sir. Well, that means you keep your dirty, greasy, sweaty hands off of her. You understand? <laughs> and, and, but it was just those just blunt, serious talks, even with language. There was a, they went through this stage where they had this friend where everything was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So then I started hearing it from them, oh my God, oh my God. And I said, you know what, fellas? We're gonna have a meeting tonight after supper. Their friend just happened to be staying over that night. Mm. And I said, you're using the Lord's name in vain. You're not giving him praise, you're not giving him glory, but it doesn't matter if it's a football play or a great catch or whatever it is, everything's, oh my God. I said, you're using the Lord's name in vain. Chew on that and think about that. And for my sons, I said, I don't want to hear it ever again. But it was wow. times you had to just <laughs> step into their life as the head of the home, as the priest of the home. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge. Yeah. God's put me in charge. My sons weren't. And you did it with love. You did it respect. You, with respect. You didn't belittle them or, or knock them down. But, uh, you know, you always let them know I love you so much, I will shoot straight with you. Yeah. I think it's pretty incredible. Looking back now, even just in that instance, even though the friend was there and everything, what I love and I, I can appreciate it now and back then, you know, it's a little, when you're be, the one being corrected, it's a little tough to appreciate. But looking back now, we never, you guys never let anything fester. It was never, oh, I see this, and so let's just see if it, you know, if it dies off mm -hmm. here in a few weeks or in a few months. No, it was like, oh, I see this. Let's let's get this thing taken care of now, rather yeah. than let it get bigger and bigger and snowball into something it shouldn't. Um, it's that was pretty incredible. That's awesome. Did did those conversations for you, Dan? Did they ever like were they ever like poop your pants conversations? Like put the fear of God in? It was you? probably a good ninety five percent of the time. It was. <laughs> the only time it wasn't is if it wasn't totally directed towards me. Then I'm like, yeah, okay. this is awesome. You suckers are in yes. trouble, and I'm not. <laughs> Absolutely, but most most of the time it was very direct. Not a lot of fluff. It's right to the point. Yeah. Great, let's pray together, yeah. and we're going to move on. So it was very, very quick normally. So so what happened after those conversations? Did it was like, was that the end of it? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you saw it again, like there was going to be some mm -hmm. consequences. But like, was that it then? You, we, we said our piece. 
You guys yeah. know the expectation now. We're moving on. I love you guys. We're a family. Let's get back to the wrestling and, and the playing and yeah. all that and the sarcasm. Sarcasm <laughs> seems to be a, oh, a big part you of your family. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was. It, it had to be over. And that's one thing we never allowed in our home. Mm. No matter what age they were, you didn't pout. Wow. You're not going to jack your jaws at your mother and then run off to your room mad. Because I will catch you before you get to your room, <laughs> yep. and we'll yep. talk about it. And, and uh, that's just not going to happen. But pouting, uh, my wife, Helen, she's not a powder. She doesn't portray that or model that. She doesn't stomp off mad, silent treatment, all that kind of immature garbage. Uh, we didn't allow it. Mm. Uh, you're not going to be mad at me for the, the rest of the afternoon, Dan. I'm not going to let you. So I'm going to be throwing a football at you. I'm going to be saying, Dan, don't smile. Don't smile. But if you do, Dan, don't smile. <laughs> and he'd be trying to pout and try to be mad at me. But the time it was done, we were wrestling. We were in the yard. But it wasn't tolerated. Because mm. it was over for me. Yeah. I wasn't going to beat him over the head with it. We prayed. It was done. It was a done deal. Yeah. And so we made it be over for them, even if they maybe wanted to hang on to it for a little bit. Yeah. No, no, not going to. Hmm. We're not going there. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. That isolation isolation was not a was not an option. So mm. you weren't going to go to your room and close the door, and like like you say, pout about it for you know an hour. Uh, most of the times I remember it was even sometimes it was we're going to stay right here in the living room and we'll, we'll maybe turn on a movie or watch some TV um, or something where yeah. it's like you're not even though you were just corrected you're not going to go into your own rooms and disappear. Yeah. And, you know, and just badmouth them behind closed doors. Now it's not going to happen. Yeah. We've dealt with it. Let's move on. There's no reason to go to your room and close the door. Yeah. Randy, did you guys have like a set of rules in your house when the boys were growing up? We did. A lot of it was just, I, really, they were unspoken rules, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. It was just, it was all a matter of respect and honor. Mm. And, you know, I'm not going to repeat myself 32 times and then threaten you. At the count of 10, this is going to happen. You know, uh, it's just, and they knew that from a very young age, that you obey and respect your mom. You open the door for her. You pump gas in her car. Mm. You know, you take care of her. And it was just, I think at a very young age, it was really respect and honor and obedience. And, and we modeled it. You know, we modeled it with our bosses. We modeled it with, with leadership at the church. Wow. You know, did we always agree with every decision every made everywhere in our life? No, but we knew it was right. We knew they heard from God, and guess what? We're in. Mm. And uh, and it was just really a lot of unspoken rules, but they all were centered around obedience and respect. Wow. So, you know, I think it was Patrick Lencioni talked about this, that most business books are written from a hindsight perspective. Therefore, when you read the book, it seems like there was a clear plan going into things and that it, it was, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then everything works out great. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think in talking with some parents, I don't get, I don't necessarily, it doesn't feel like you're coming across like we did it just right. Mm. And we'll, we'll dive into some stories that I've heard you tell here in just a second. But um, if you looking back was it as clean as it seems just in this conversation of, well, we had our monthly meetings, we had these unwritten rules. Was it, was it that clean and clear as the boys were growing up? Or were there moments where you and Miss Helen just felt like, oh, dear God, we don't know what we're doing? Constantly. It was, <laughs> but I wasn't going to let them know that. <laughs> yeah. Because I was, you know, but, oh, yeah, you have those doubts. You have those fears. And I can't tell you how many times... I had to go sit on the edge of their bed mm. and say, son, please forgive me. I only heard one side of the story. I corrected you in anger. I was mad. And you, I can't tell you how many times I had to go to them and say, I'm sorry. I blew it. And, and oh. they knew I blew it. They saw me, you know, for the good, the bad, and the ugly. They, they saw it all. And but yet, I just thank God that he gave me the wisdom and the courage to apologize. Mm -hmm. To say, son, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not perfect. And I know we went through a time there with Ben where, you know, he was uh, eighth, ninth grade or something like that. And he just, in school, he wasn't doing schoolwork. He just kind of laid down and quit. And he was like, son, do you want 
to go on to the next grade? Because right now, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not. Your friends will in this small Christian school at the time, and you will be held back. You good with that? No answer. It was just not a problem. No big deal. And it was like one of those times we're pulling our hair out. You know, we would try to, you know, he was beyond a spanking at that age. It was just, you know, so we stripped him of all his earthly goods. He'd sitting in a room <laughs> naked. You know, he had no electronic devices. He had nothing. But it was just, and like I say, if I knew what clicked in him and what changed him around, believe me, we'd write a book. We, we'd do something. <laughs> but all of a sudden, one day, it clicked. He got it. He kicked back in, and he moved forward. But what it was, I'll never know. To this day, when we talk to Ben about it, he doesn't know. Wow. And was it frustrating? Wasn't it, We thought we were failures as parents, and why is this so hard? Why doesn't this kid just get it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, there were plenty of times like that. And, and it's just, man, that's when you really seek God and his wisdom and his yeah. word and, and dig even deeper because he has the answers. Yeah. Uh, but many, many mistakes, parenting mistakes along the way. Yeah, Dan, how big of a how big of a deal were the times when he would come and apologize to you guys? It it was pretty incredible. What I'll say is, nothing will diffuse a any type of a situation or feelings or emotions that are negative. It'll diffuse that so fast. Whenever mm-hmm. he would when he would come in and do that, yeah, it was just like. I don't know. And again, as a kid, I can't, I could never put it into words. Like respect level went way up or anything. I could never say that looking back. I can. Yeah. That's what it was. It was just like, man, that's, that's what being, I want to be like that. Yeah. It just, without having to say it, it, his actions showed this is what a man does. This is what a leader does when they mess up. Yeah. Um, and I can almost remember almost every time that he did that, uh, because it was such a big deal, and it was just like, yeah, I may have been, fr- I was probably mad whenever you were correcting me out of anger, and that, you know, we're both upset. But man, when he comes in and he does that, it it changed everything. It calmed us down, and it was just like, I can get over this. Did you ever have a time when you were a kid where it was just like, darn right, you owe me an apology? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I'm sure I'm sure Brad probably did. Oh, yeah, he's the yeah. he's kind of the fighter of the bunch, gotcha. so I'm sure he did. I was my personality is not totally like that, but I'm sure he did. You're the you're kind of the compliant kid of the yeah. bunch. I gotcha. <laughs> so with that though, I love what you were saying that looking back, especially like you said, you probably couldn't formulate it as a kid, but looking back over the times that your dad came in and said, "I, I blew it, I messed up, I owe you an apology," which is just an incredible leadership lesson right there because our leadership starts in the home first with our spouses, then with our kids before ministry even comes into play. And the fact that you're willing to, if you want to put it in a leadership context, willing to go apologize to a subordinate um, when you don't have to, when you don't, do not have to, um, that's a big deal. It just shows humility, and I, I just have the utmost respect for it. I heard you talk about this at a men's breakfast, the times you did this, and I, I can't tell. There was one time I corrected my daughter in anger, um, and I'm sure it's been more than one over the course of these three years. And... I went in and I sat on her bed and I said, Pepper, I'm sorry. I messed up and I shouldn't have done that. And I'm sure she'd made a poop joke or something right after. Like, <laughs> she, she doesn't know. Um, she doesn't know. But I, I, I hope, I hope that, I, that my kids look at me the way that your kids look at you um, when my kids are 25, 26, 27, 28 years old. Um, I just think that's, I think that's incredible. I'll say this too with that. What it did is it opened a door <laughs> for me to know that because he did that with me, mm-hmm. I could do that with him. Oh, wow. And so even though earlier you referenced, we would come into your room and yeah. we'd sit down and we'd talk, it's because he set the example saying, I'm not too big mm. and my pride's not too big to come in here and talk to you about and be open. He And it opened a door for us to do the same to him. And wow. so it, it ultimately it set the example so that we would be honest with him yeah. uh, in return that, that he was honest with us too. So. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. And man, again, I just, I love the parallels that this ties with leadership. Pastor Greg Scott, who was on the show a while back, um, he talked about how, or I've heard him talk several times about how not waiting for someone to come to your office because they're not going to. You need to go to them. You need to go get engaged in their life. And that's what you did with your kids. Yeah. 
I mean, you want to talk about building a successful organization. You did it. You and Miss Helen did it in raising the DeBell boys. Um, and I just think that's, I just think that's phenomenal. I actually want to jump back for just a second to something you said a moment ago. You said that you want your kids to be more successful than you, that that's how it should be. Why? I think every, every person, male or female, you know, when you look at your kids, son or daughter, doesn't matter. Uh, you know, you, you want them to, let's, let's be very carnal, I guess, but you want them to be more successful than you. You want them to be loved and admired. Uh, you want them to be in a nice home, drive nice vehicles. You know, that's your heart's desire for your kids. To, to be, I want my sons to be a way better man than me. And I look at them and I think, man, when I grow up someday, I want to be like you. Mm. Every one of them has this wonderful, these character traits that I look at and think, I need to take that and implement it in my life. Mm. And I think along the way, it's realizing your kids, they really are your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And now that they are grown, they are mature, that... I can glean from them. I can learn from them. They are sharpening me. Mm. And I feel more than I'm sharpening them at this stage in their life. They're sharpening me. I know when they come over for Sunday dinner or whatever, Dan starts talking, starts talking leadership. I just about get out a notebook. I mean, I'm taking notes. Mm. I get my phone out. And it's those are things I need to share with my teammates, wow. with my you know folks, my fellow employees at work and and everything. But it's just... You see them grow and just become, like I said, it's, it's that simple, better than I am. And there's a sense of pride and accomplishment. Mm. And it all points back, not to me or, or to Helen and our great parenting skills, but I point it back to God, this mm. ministry, this school. That's who it points back to. Wow. That's incredible. And it, it is, again, it's just an incredible mm. parallel to leadership because I think so often as leaders, it can be easy to kind of want to suppress the people beneath you because we want to be known as the as the the guru or the the expert or whatever. Yeah. And so, and, and in the tie to scripture, the Bible talks about our kids being warrior or arrows in the hands of warriors, and that you you have to pull the arrow back. And I think oftentimes leaders just want to hold it back rather than actually letting yeah. it go. True. And yeah. and what you're saying there, and then the flip side of that, I've heard you just said that you're taking notes from him, having worked with Dan. He comes in telling us things that you've taught. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm <and> sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> but I, I just think it's awesome how this is a two way street. Now that your your son has grown, your three sons are grown, that it's become a two-way street, that it's not just you're still the dad. That, that I didn't know that side, that, that you have this, this utmost respect. Not that I would think that you don't, but just that you're taking notes on what he's saying. He's taking notes on what you're saying. Like, that's how it should be, not only in the home, but also as a leader. I love how Rick yeah, Warren yeah. says you can learn from anybody if yeah. you're willing to. That's true. Um, yeah. Including the people that are, quote, unquote, beneath you. And in this context, I mean, in a pecking order, that's how it would fall. This yeah. is your kid. You don't have to listen to him. What's he know? He's 25, 26 years old um, and kind of a punk at that. <laughs> really smart. I want you to know that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, you know, as we, as we, we've only got a few minutes left here. And so there's a couple things I want to tackle before we, before we end this conversation, which has just been phenomenal so far. Randy, I've heard you talk a lot about the importance of prayer when it comes to your kids. And I know th this to me can be the moment in the conversation, uh, if you're listening, where it's just like, oh, yeah, I know. Like, I need to pray for my kids. Um, but I think this is something that it, if you've been a Christian for a long time, that you can almost, like, slough off a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, I'm going to do it in my own power. I got this. Why, mm. why has prayer been such a big deal to you and Miss Helen in raising these three boys? Well, for us, I know for me personally, I have come to the, ploy, the place in my 56-year-old life that I see prayer. I see my personal chair time with me and God as life and death. Mm. It is that serious to me. I take it that serious. That when I get up early in the morning and decide, okay, I'm going to lose an hour of sleep and spend it with my Savior. When I've made that decision... Uh, it's, it's that important. When I pray over my family, when I plead the blood of Jesus over them, protection over them, I pray that they hunger 
for the things of God. I pray that they seek his kingdom first. And, uh, and you know, and, but it's just, it is truly life and death. And when yeah. one of my sons is a state trooper, and I think about that. Right now I have a, a 28 men that have asked me to pray for them. They've given me a need in their life. They've given me a scripture they're standing on. Hmm. So if I roll over tomorrow morning, there's 28 men that I made a, a covenant and a promise to. Wow. I will pray for you every day. Wow. And it's not a ball and chain. It's not guilt. Mm. It's not a checkbox. But I take my time with the Lord as life and death, as the priest of the home, as the head of the home. It's on my shoulders. Wow. And what I pray and how I pray and how I stand on his word is more important than one more hour of sleep. It's more important than a workout. It's more important than a John Wayne Western. <laughs> but I, it's because I, in my life, it's taken me 55 years to grasp that. Wow. And I'm ashamed to say that chair time only became that important in the last year of my life here. Wow. But it is truly that important. I mean, you take it that way. I'll be honest with you. When I start thinking about my chair time the night before, I'm excited. I can't wait for morning to come. Wow. I can't wait to get up because I'm going to spend time face to face with my father and my savior. And I get to bring my family and give them to him in that same time. And uh, I've seen how it's changed my life. I see how it's blessed our home personally, mm -hmm. our kids, their homes, their relationships. And the verse is, is so true. When you seek him first and the things of God, the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added unto you. All your needs will be met. And God has proven that to me in no uncertain terms this last year. Wow. Dan, seeing your dad go through this, I, I would assume I, transformation <clears throat> would be an appropriate word for mm -hmm. this over the past year or so. Um, what what kind of impact has that made on you, even as a 26-year-old who's married with your own family now? Um, I'll say the biggest thing is it's it's challenged me because I always looked to my dad as, as somebody that was spiritually, and especially growing up, it was spiritually more mature. I mean, I want, I want to be like him because we, we prayed a lot together as a family growing up several times, especially if there was a need, we would get together, and we were specific. Mm -hmm. We're going to pray. Um, but now that I have a family of my own, I realize the responsibility and the weight of it like I've never realized before. Obviously, growing up as a kid, I didn't, I didn't feel that weight until now. When, and, and, and even just when I was sitting here hearing him talk about it, I'm just like, man, that's what I want to be like. Mm -hmm. And I'm striving to do that every day, but it's like that, that's, that's the goal for me. And, and what I, the, it's awesome because it's, my goal is I want to be like my dad. When it comes, when spiritually, he's setting the standard for our family, and it's like yeah. there's no doubt when you look at their life, my my parents' life, that there's been breakthrough, and that there's life and blessing and favor just surrounding them everywhere that they go. Um, people are people are being blessed and bring being brought to Jesus because of their obedience to do just like he's saying to to pray and to cherish their personal time with God every single day. The biggest thing for me is challenging. I'm I'm challenged by it, uh, and I strive to get better every single day because of it. Wow, that's incredible. You know, as we wrap this up, Randy, I've heard you tell this story before um, about a time not too long ago that you and your wife were on vacation. And I just think uh, as a closing thought for everybody out there listening, I think it bears repeating. So if you would tell us the story of when you, you were on vacation here not too long ago. Well, we were loved the, the Western states, and we had spent some time, and, and we were on this two-lane blacktop somewhere between Salt Lake City and J Jackson Hole. And we come to this big blind curve, and on the curve is this old pickup, and it's got two little old rickety trailers hooked up behind it. And, and uh, there's a, a young lady sitting in, this, in the driver's seat, and the window's rolled down, and she has a little red flag. And she's waving this little red flag, so we pull up there and stop, and I'm thinking, man, what is going on here? And she just says, sheep sheep I'm like okay sheep and so I'm like what and she goes sheep sheep 
all right, oh, thank you, you know, have a good day. Roll the window up, and we make our way around this corner. Well, she wasn't lying. When we get around this corner, there's probably a flock of four to 500 sheep coming down the road right towards us. So I kind of pull off to the side of the road, and, and, you know, they're moving these sheep, this flock, to another pasture. And there's smaller dogs, and there's shepherds, some walking, some on horseback, and, and they're moving these sheep, and, and it was just really a cool sight to see. But then bringing up the, the, the tail end of the flock, walking right down the middle of the road, my eyes caught him. And it was really an impressive sight. I don't know what kind of dog it was, but it was a huge sheep dog. He was massive. He was powerfully, powerfully built. There wasn't any fat on this dog. Uh, he was just impressive to look at. And he strutted down the middle of that two-lane blacktop like he owned it. And it's because he did. He owned the other little sheep dogs. He even owned the shepherds. But he owned specifically those sheep. And he was on the prowl, diligently watching out over these sheep. And it was really cool to watch because you, you looked at him and as he got closer and came closer to the car, you know, he looked at me and I rolled the window up because uh, he looked at me and he kind of flashed his fangs. And I thought, man, look at the fangs on that thing. And then you could see his muzzle was, was scarred and you could tell he'd been in fights. It wasn't just snoozing in the sunshine, uh, you know, hanging out with the sheep. But you could tell he had been in battle. He had been in war. He had done this before. And as he went by, uh, I'm not going to tell you it was the Lord or the Holy Spirit, but this thought came to my mind, Randy, be like that sheepdog. Be like him. Hmm. And as I sat there and kind of thought about it to myself, I thought, yeah, I do need to be like him with my family, with my wife. I needed to protect what comes into our home, who comes into our home. What is on the internet? What's on the TV? Uh, and just in all those different ways, I thought about where we're involved here at the church with, with my teammates here at the church, my coworkers. Am I protecting them? Do they know I have their back? Do they know I love them and their family? And I will protect them. I thought about where we volunteer here at the church, the couple different areas, and I thought, man, do those people know that I'm for them? not against them, that I'm protecting them. And you know, that there's just so many of us that, you know, I, I realize I'll, I'm probably not going to be a shepherd, but I've not been called to be a sheep either, but I've been called to be a sheepdog. Mm. And I will love and protect and, and, and honor our shepherds and the sheep. But it's just, it just became so real to me as I saw that sheepdog just very boldly protecting everyone he was involved with. It wasn't just him. He wasn't just looking out for him, but it was everyone. It was, like I say, the other smaller sheepdogs, the shepherds, and specifically the sheep. But it really impacted me, and it made me think I need to be more diligent, more loving, more caring, and just let people know I have your back. I'm here for you. Wow. So powerful. So folks, go out and be a sheepdog. This is such an amazing story. Dan, Randy, if folks uh, want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about it? Uh, for me, it's real simple. You can just shoot me an email. That's probably the easiest. It's real simple. Just dan at kidsonthemove.com. Real easy. Are you on the, the, the social media? I am. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Not so much on Facebook. I have one, but I don't get on there very often. So uh, at, uh, Twitter, it's just da at Dan DeBell. Real simple. What about you, Randy? Easiest way for me would be email. That's randyd at wgm.us. randyd at wgm.us. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you. You bet. It was fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the Leadership Podcast today. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a question or maybe you have a, uh, a guest that you would love to hear us talk to, you can hit us up online at creative underscore sheep is our handle. Uh, this, this show is brought to you by creativesheep.org. Uh, uh, we create premium media for the church. So if you maybe have a church, you're at a church, maybe you're over, you're the arts director, uh, definitely go check out creativesheep.org. 
Uh, and Jared, it's it's uh, currently it's Oscar season. Do you have an Oscar favorite that's going to maybe win best best picture? Well, being that the most recent movies I've seen are Saving Private Ryan and Gladiator, I'm probably not the best person to ask for this. <laughs> I was just gonna throw you. I was gonna throw you a curveball. How about you? How about you? Uh, La La Land, hands down, hands down, great film. I've heard great things about it. I've heard great things about it. Ryan Gosling is just a dream. I will say that. <laughs> always, always. Uh, have you seen Hacksaw Ridge yet? I have not, but it's definitely on the list. Uh, Julianne and I just did a, a 21 day challenge where we didn't spend any, no compulsive spending. Compulsive, is that the right word? Uh, no spending outside of our you know, necessities. So we haven't seen yeah. a lot of movies. Uh, but we saw La La Land right before that, so uh, nice. we're about to just open up the floodgates in movies. Not really, but I'll probably red box it. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know anything about the Oscars. And <laughs> I, I actually, we had somebody tweet at us uh, that they were ashamed that I've not seen Star Wars. And that <laughs> Yeah, you their, should be ashamed. It is their goal to fix that now. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see, That's we'll good. see. Uh, hey, everybody, thanks again for listening. We will see you all next week. Peace out. Farewell. See ya.